Thank you for being here. Um, outlines are on the table, pens if you need one, and I hope you brought your own Bible and open it, please, to Genesis chapter 1. We are journeying through the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 1, and today we're at verse 26. So I left the first parts of uh, filling the earth. We talked about forming the earth and filling the earth. So now we are at verse 26, and we're going to pray, and then I will read verses 26 to 31, and away we go. Father, thank you so very much for the delicious food. Uh, Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies, and we're most grateful. Thank you for um, the moisture that we needed, and uh, yet as we go out and about, we pray you'll keep us safe on wet streets. Uh, We pray that you will bless our time together today. Thank you for good, sweet fellowship around the tables, and I pray now that you will speak to us from your precious word. We are grateful for this privilege of Bible study, and I pray that when we leave today, we'll be glad that we have been in the house of the Lord in the middle of the week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I suppose by now everybody has heard that Dr. Billy Graham passed away this morning, so uh, if you hadn't heard that, he did, and so... Um, happy for him and rejoicing in heaven uh, around the throne at his homecoming. Uh, I, I don't know if there will ever be another like him. Uh, I don't know of one on the scene right now that can, uh, that's like him, but he, he's an incredible man, was an incredible man. So you were touched in some way by him. I'm, I'm confident of that. So we, we remember him very Finally today. All right, here we go. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Okay, we'll stop there. I've entitled this section, Man. Uh, Notice, if you would, an immediate change in vocabulary from the third person to the first person from the previous days of creation, where he now says, let us. This is a divine dialogue taking place, a plural divine deliberation. So here we're seeing... Uh, part of the Trinitarian revelation, the revelation of the Trinity. Um, we saw that beginning with the second verse in the first chapter, 
where it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters or fluttering over the waters. And you'll recall that from a few weeks ago. The Spirit of God was a co-participant in creation with God the Father. And the New Testament fully reveals the role of Jesus in creation. For instance, John chapter 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Speaking of Jesus' role in creation. If you want a little more evidence, then I'll offer uh, 1 Corinthians 8.6. And 1 Corinthians 8.6 says... There is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. May I also offer from one of the most beautiful epistles in all the Bible, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. The Son, S-O-N, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, if you're writing down the texts, that was John 1, 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, and Colossians 1, 15 to 18. One more, Revelation 4, 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So here we have... An awesome declaration about man. And that declaration is made by God in consultation with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. Verse 27 that we read a moment ago is the first poetry in the Bible. The first poetry in the Bible. There are three lines, three repetitions of the word created. The Hebrew word, do you remember what it is? Bara. Very good. Bara. This is the high point toward which God's creativity from verse 1 onward is directed. The supreme act of God's creative genius is now unfolded before us, and that is man. That is man himself. The wonder of the human body exceeds that of the stars, the seas, and the animals. Now, we think about the stars, the seas, and the animals, and we may say, well... Wait a minute, Pastor. What makes man more awesome in terms of God's creation than anything else? And the Scripture gives us the answer. 
imago Dei, which means in the image of God. That's why man is the crown jewel of God's creation, because only of man is it said we are created in the image of God. That's not spoken of animals. That's not spoken of land. That's not spoken of stars or the sun or the moon, but only of man. And man shall exist forever. When the stars have faded away, your soul and mine shall still live. Imago Dei, in the image of God. Is that image physical? No, it's spiritual. And that image was not totally destroyed in the fall. We're getting there. We will get there, believe me. Our original righteousness was destroyed, but God's still within us is God's image. Imago Dei. Think about those two words because you'll hear them again. The prohibition of murder is because of Imago Dei. Let me take you a few pages over just to prove that. To Genesis chapter 9 verse 6. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, Imago Dei, for in the image of God has God made mankind. And um, even though we are sinners, we still are Imago Dei. James chapter 3 and verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Imago Dei. We're created in the image of God. We are marred by sin, but still Imago Dei. So when you leave here today, if the words Imago Dei are ringing in your ears and you're thinking, why did he say that so many times? It's because we need to remember that we are created in the image of God. And I'm just going to jump out there and say, we're special. We're special. We and we alone are created in the image of God. Immediately upon creating man, if you'll note verse 28, God spoke to man. God spoke to Adam and Eve. So his image bearer, as his image bearers, we can hear and receive God's Word. Just like we're doing this morning, studying God's Word this afternoon. No other creatures like that. There's no other creature like we are. So along with that hearing the Word of God, receiving the Word of God, also goes responsibility, morality, and spirituality. Those things go along with it. We are also rulers. Hot dog. You've always wanted to be a ruler. You are. Verse 26 says, 
Let us make man in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the animals. And he goes on in verse 28 to say, God blessed him and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and so on and so on. You know, the only thing wrong with that picture is uh, that part about ruling over the fish. That bothers me because when I go fishing, nothing happens. I'm a terrible fisherman. I, you know, I cast my, nothing. So if I'm the ruler over the fish, what's the problem here? Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to figure that out some, some other time. But we're rulers. Now, that amazed David. David the psalmist, David the king. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, David said, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them and humans that you care for them? That's a good question. David marvels at what he sees. And then he says, why do you care about us? But God does. And the greatest demonstration of that care is what? Jesus. The greatest, clearest demonstration of his care and love for us is Jesus. Now, uh, Genesis 5.3 suggests sonship. Let me read that. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Okay, let's do a little deduction here. Seth is in the image of Adam, and Adam is in the image of God. Oh, okay. So, Luke 3.38. Just jot these verses down. You don't have time to look them up. Luke 3.38. Coming up to that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke. Whoops, that's 2.38. 3.38. Here we go. It's that. That's... uh, The genealogy of Jesus, as written by Luke, the very last phrase of the genealogies, he says, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Catch that order? Son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. So there is a sonship for you and I who belong to God. Imago Dei, in the image of God, as image bearers, we can hear God's word And we can reach spiritual heights. We are created to rule. So we're regal. We are offspring of God. And if we trust Jesus, then we have an eternal sonship. Forever in the presence of God. So, the hymns that we sing remind us that we are wretches and worms. Remember? Saved a wretch like me, and what's the one that says uh, we're worms? Wretches and worms. That's We're wretches and worms. No way around it, because we're sinners. But also, wretch and worm, remember Imago Dei, created in the image of God. So sin makes us a grisly shadow of what we were created to be. Thus, our hope is in Jesus. And remember these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 
Verse 49, I don't need it, that's okay. Verse 49, And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, Christ Jesus. Got a lot to look forward to, haven't we? Okay, you're kind. Thank you, George. All right, there we go. We're not done with God's creation of man. I wonder where the cap went. Oh, okay. Now that it's on my fingers, there we go. Thank you. So let's read about God's rest. Um, I hope you know we could camp out at any point a whole lot longer than we are camping out. Somebody, a smart aleck, has already come to me today and said, I've missed a couple of weeks, and I see we're still in chapter 1. <clears throat> Okay, smart aleck, we're going to chapter 2. There you go. All right, chapter 2. God rests. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh, seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rests. Really, chapter 1, verse 31, and chapter 2, verse 1, go together. Verse 31 of chapter 1, And God saw that he, all that he had made, and it was very good. You notice, did you catch the difference there? Previously, what did God say? What does the Bible It was good. God saw that it was good. Now it's all done, and it says it's very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So this expresses the satisfaction of God at the conclusion of day six. Uh, I, I, I can't even get my arms around all that that means, but God just looking at everything that he had done and... Uh, I don't want to impose how we look on God, but I can imagine what, whatever God does when He smiles, that such satisfaction at seeing the results of everything that He had created, particularly the crown jewel of His creation, which is man. So we see the harmonious perfection of creation. Creation lacks nothing. God, all that God made is worthy of praise, and it, it, it was very good, the Scripture says. So, we come to day seven, and the seventh day is significantly different than what we find in days one through six. First of all, there was no more creative word. Day seven, there's no God made this, God made that. No more creative word when we get to verse seven. Day seven, that's the first difference. Second difference, there's no closing refrain. There was evening and there was morning to indicate the day's end. That doesn't happen with the seventh day. There's no evening, morning, the seventh day is over, no. Third difference, the seventh day was the only day to be blessed and made holy by God. It's another difference. Only day to be blessed and made holy by God. Fourth difference, the seventh day stood outside the paired days of creation. You remember when we put that chart up on the board? 
Day one paired with day four. Day two paired with day five. Day three paired with day six. In the filling and the for, in the forming and the filling of earth, seventh day stands alone. It's not paired with any other day. And the fifth difference is, unlike the six creative days, the number of the day seven is repeated three times. Three times. Notice verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Three times he uses the term. Now, in verses 2 and 3, in Hebrew, and I think also in this case in, in English, but in Hebrew, there are four lines. And the first three lines are parallel, each having seven words. And the midpoint of each line is this term, the seventh day. I know if you're you're starting to count words in English, it's not going to work. But in Hebrew, there are four lines, three lines parallel, seven words right in the middle of the seventh day. Line one. So God finished by the seventh day his work which he did. That's a literal translation. Line two, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he did. Line three, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And then the last line, because on it he rested from all his work that God created to do. The seventh day stands apart as the crown of the six days of creation. The ending, the last thing, from the beginning of creation, the seventh day was central, not only to creation, but to the ultimate destiny of God's people. I I know, I don't guess, I know that in in the day we live in, the society that we live in, the way the world is now, um, the seventh day is no longer viewed as it once was. And we know that. God blessed that seventh day for a reason. And who was the recipient of the reason? Us. There is a reason God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. So let's talk about that. God rested, the scripture tells us. Why? Not from fatigue. God was not worn out. Omnipotence needs no rest because omnipotent power is never depleted. His power is infinite. But the word rest literally means to cease from. To cease from. God simply stopped his creating activity. But, know this, he still worked. He still worked. Why would I say that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what the Scripture tells us. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus is speaking, and he says, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Oh, okay. God rested from creating, but not from sustaining the world. Here again, the beautiful words of Colossians chapter 1, 
verse 17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The picture we get there is if God decides to let go, we're done. We're done. God holds it all together. So God's rest was one of deep pleasure and deep satisfaction at the fruit of his labor. And God blessed the day, verse 3 tells us. God blessed the seventh day. He made it spiritually fruitful. God's blessing bestows on this special day, this special holy day, a power which makes it fruitful for man. It is a day of rest in which God gives us the power to think, to rest, to contemplate, to stimulate, to animate, to enrich, and to give fullness to life. It's a day of benefit for God's people. God made it holy. And that's the first thing God hallowed in Scripture. The first thing God hallowed in Scripture is the seventh day. And the day has no end. It is still going on. It is elevated above the other six days and set apart by God and for God Himself. There is no morning or evening. It has existed from the completion of creation. Now, what's the benefit for man? I'm glad you asked that. Do I have time? Yes. The seventh day was given preeminence in Israel, God's people, by becoming the text for the fourth of the Ten Commandments. I take you to Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, and here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's a day of rest, a cessation from labor. Blessed, essential to the spiritual health and growth of the nation. The seventh day pointed the Hebrew worshipers to a day of rejoicing over God's creative work. And it tells us that there's more to life than work. And sometimes we need to remember that. There's more to life than work. It's a day to hear, it's a day to meditate on God's Word, it's a day to contemplate things eternal, a day to pray. Write this down, Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what the prophet says. You know, I don't know how many times I've read this, but until I was doing this study, I never paid any attention to it. Well, now I am. Listen to these two verses. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. Whoa! Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph 
on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Ooh, okay. One more verse. Deuteronomy. Read the, uh, we got this down. Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. I don't know what part of that we can't understand. Now, remember... Who were the first hearers of all this? The children of the Exodus. They had been brutally treated in Egypt, brutally overworked. No days of rest. Just work and work and work and work and work. And now God says, you got a day to rest and think about me and contemplate me. A day that you don't work. What kind of news would that have been to people who have been treated so brutally for so long. Woo! That's good news. Um, and, and it ought to be good news to us, too. So rest and reflect on your redemption from slavery. For us, rest and reflect upon your redemption from your sin. So in observing the fourth commandment, we are celebrating God as Creator and God as Redeemer. God as Creator and God as Redeemer. And it's also a sign of the covenant between God and Israel. I won't take time to read this. You can jot it down. Exodus 31, 12, 13, 16, 17, all those verses say a sign of the covenant between you and me is going to be the Sabbath day. And it will be a sign to all the nations around you that we are different. We are distinctive. For the nations worship Gods that didn't even exist looked at the Israelites and thought, what are they doing today? They're not working. What's going on? A sign of the covenant relationship between Israel and God is a day to rest, reflect, and celebrate the glory of God. Okay. No other people had the Sabbath But God gave His people time to reflect on the eternal and time to celebrate and worship. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 addresses that, and I'll I'll wait and save that for for next week. But we'll pick up right there, and then we'll go to Eden. We're going to Eden next Wednesday. The Garden of Eden. It's going to be awesome. And then, uh, well... You know what happens after that. So we'll enjoy Eden, okay? Hope you come back next week. It's been a joy being with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for the most precious gift of your son Jesus, that we might have forgiveness for our sins, the gift of eternal life. I pray that we'll be a faithful people. That as others who do not know you look around and see us, they will see there's something distinctive and different about the people who call themselves Christians. And I pray that in us, you'll be glorified. In the Savior's name I pray. Amen. See you next time.